Before we start today's show, we wanted to talk briefly to all of our wonderful listeners. We are quickly coming up on our 100th episode, and we want to celebrate that with all of you. To do that, we would like to hand over the microphone to you. We'd love to hear about your favorite episodes, why you keep listening to us, when you shouted at us the most, what you think we should do in the next 100 episodes, basically all of your thoughts about Pop Culturally Deprived. Like Mandy says, we really want to hear you during the episode. So there's a couple of ways you can do that. We have a SpeakPipe account. Uh, so you can call and leave a short message. That's speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. And you can also record yourself by any means, a phone, a mic, podcasting equipment, uh, talking through two cans tied by a string. And you can email them to us, podcast at eloquentgushing.com. So Matthew, what are you hoping to hear from folks? Uh, I I actually really want to hear where people have discussed or recommended our episodes to other people. Like, where has Pop Culturally Deprived come up in conversation somehow? Like, it always seems to come up for me like, oh, yeah, we had this conversation on the podcast about that film. And here's a thing that we said. And I mean, I talk about films a lot, so that's probably fair. Right. Um, how about you? Well, mostly I, I want to hear the things that I already mentioned. I want to know what folks loved. I really want to know when people argue with us, especially if they're like listening to us in the car and they're just shouting at us because they either agree or disagree with us. I love <laughs> to hear about those things. Um, or even things that you've just simply thought that we've gotten wrong. Have I hated a movie that you just absolutely loved and you need to tell me about it? Tell <laughs> us that. Tell us why you listen. You do have some time before we record our 100th episode, but this is our formal request to hear from you and be a part of this milestone. If you don't want to speak, you can drop us something in text form that we'll read out, but I love having other people's voices on here, so it would be amazing to hear from you. The deadline to be included is November the 28th of 2018, in case you're hearing this in the future, and we've already released like 300 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So you have plenty of time. So there is no excuse for not getting us something. So now we will get on with this week's show. This is episode number 87 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about Bill and Ted's bogus journey on your savory crawler podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. So, Mandy, I'm skipping all the conversation. This is one of my favorite like comedies, sequels, films of all time. Did you like this? <laughs> you need I, I to did. let me know now. Okay. Yes, I did. <laughs> Otherwise, this was the shortest blooming episode ever. Okay. <laughs> No, we have things to talk about. I did enjoy it. I laughed a lot. Okay. Phew. Right. Hi, Feel Mandy. How's now? it going? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, it's good. We get to talk talk about Bill and Ted. Nice. Excellent, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we covered this oh, a few months ago now, the first one. I think you enjoyed that one. Oh, I did. Absolutely. A lot. Yeah. Did you know it had a sequel before you watched that, before we talked about it? No. Okay. Which is why I've never watched this one. <laughs> okay. I mean, clearly I had never watched the original either, so I wouldn't have watched this one. And we, we talked about that on the, the last one, the whole, my perception of stupid humor back then was <laughs> right. incorrect and like misplaced. But yeah, I had no idea Bill and Ted had a sequel until I met you. Okay. <laughs> And now you do, and now you've watched it, and now it's amazing, and it's one of the best sequels ever made. Because actually, we had a big conversation about sequels when we did The Godfather Part 2. We did. Because um, that is a great sequel, and this is, for me, the another example of a sequel that does better than its first film. Okay. I think that's going to be a conversation for us to have uh, once we get to the meat of the conversation, the discussion. So Okay. All right. Before we get started, though, I'm going to give a little bit of the history of this movie that I did not know existed until recently. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey is the second and last to date film in the Bill and Ted's science fiction comedy franchise. Released in 1991, it was the directing debut of Pete Hewitt. Nearly everyone from the original cast reprised their roles, and they were joined by William Sadler as the Grim Reaper and Joss Ackland as villain Chuck Denomalos. 
It was originally to be called Bill and Ted Go to Hell, but they changed it because they wouldn't have been allowed to advertise it on TV until after 9 p.m. It did modestly at the box office, returning nearly double its $20 million budget. Critics gave it mixed reviews. Roger Ebert gave it three out of four stars, writing that it's the kind of movie where you start out snickering in spite of yourself and end up actually admiring the originality that went into creating this hallucinatory slapstick while his counterpart Gene Siskel gave it only 2.5 stars, though he did think it was better than the first. Marvel Comics created a one-shot comic book adaptation of the movie that was so popular they commissioned a spin-off series, Bill and Ted's Excellent Comic Book. It ran for 12 issues and featured original stories, including the disastrous results of death taking a vacation. Have you read those, Matthew? No. You didn't know they existed, though. I did. I, okay. I, I think the thing... That I know is the there's a bit that they didn't put in the film, which I would have quite enjoyed, which is that Bill and Ted die again. I think the robots kill them again during the Battle of the Bands. Oh. Um, but because they've beaten death four times, they can get resurrected again. <laughs> okay. <laughs> which is a really nice idea, like build on the gag that you had earlier. Right. But I also ex- appreciate the expediency that final scene gets dealt with. Yes. We'll come to it. We'll come to it. I'm getting way excited about this film. All right. (laughs) Did you also happen to know that originally this movie was going to be completely different and very similar to the first one? In that the studio wanted Bill and Ted to go into literature and meet historical literary figures. Okay. That's cool. And the the screenwriters tried to do it, but then they told Alex and Keanu what their idea was, which was this one. Right. And they vetoed the original one and said they wouldn't do any other version except for Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in Hell. Yeah. I feel this is the better idea, but I can see that one is a really good idea for a sequel. The same idea done slightly differently. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. glad they did it completely differently, though. Mm. Have you read the Jasper Ford uh, Thursday Next series? I have not. Okay, because that's some of the the basis and idea of that is going into books and meeting literary figures. Oh, cool! Mm, it's, it's very good. Okay. He does he does wordplay very well. There was one of the books that has a sentence that features something like nine ands and ten thes. Oh wow! Because <laughs> they're talking about getting rid of the 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 and 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 just this idea of having the words again and again. Right. Right. Okay. He spends a page setting this one gag up. It's great. <laughs> that sounds right up your alley. It really is. And and it's funny, the whole go to hell thing, that's like what we heard with uh, Ghostbusters 2. Mm-hmm. That that was part of the idea for that sequel or, or part of the idea for Ghostbusters 3 was them going to hell and using wands to defeat things. Okay. And interesting that this one, they did it and did it very well. And in that one, they just did a sort of fairly standard sequel. Right, right. Mm. All right, well, if you have not seen Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, evil doppelganger robots are sent back in time to kill Bill and Ted to prevent the future that worships them. Bill and Ted defeat death at board games in order to come back to life to save the princesses from their evil counterparts. Then they win Battle of the Bands and start a most triumphant career. Most triumphant. Most triumphant. (laughs) Uh, How did you manage to watch this? Is it available anywhere over there? I didn't think to look because it turns out Joseph owned this one too. Nice. Which makes sense. If you own the first one, you're probably going to own the second one. (laughs) It just didn't Uh, occur to me to check. (laughs) Up until May, I only owned this one. (laughs) Oh, okay. That's because you bought like a double feature in May, didn't you? Uh, No, no. I bought the Blu-ray in May for uh, us doing the episode because it wasn't available anywhere. So I was like, well, I might as well get the Blu-ray because I want it. But this I have owned since, you know, it came out on Blu-ray. Oh, I see. You had this one, but not the first mm. one. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hmm. Um, so I watched the DVD, but it is available on Netflix over here. Cool. Hmm. Yay, Netflix. Okay. Uh, you said Peter Hewitt is the director for this, and we have an addition to our cast, or, or the core cast. We have William Sadler. Uh, do you have any experience of them? Uh, no. P- well, Pete Hewitt, no. Just this movie. Okay. I looked at his filmography and I haven't heard of any of those things. <laughs> oh, he did The Borrowers in 1997? Nope. He did Garfield the movie? Okay, I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. And he did what appears to be Home Alone 5. 
Yeah, I didn't which, know Home Alone went that far. No, I knew it had four. I keep seeing the four pack everywhere, but there's a fifth one called The Holiday Heist, as though like, oh, this is the Christmas version of the film. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> what astounded me was Home Alone 5 stars Malcolm McDowell. Like really? a legitimate, proper actor. <laughs> okay. So, going to be watching that at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, we have previously talked about William Sadler because he was in Die Hard 2. Mm. Um, and at that point, I mentioned I knew him primarily from Roswell. He was the sheriff. Right. And I've seen him in a few other things. And when we talked about him, I said there was another film I knew him from. Yeah, it's this one. Oh, it was this one. Yeah. It's so Did... funny because I didn't realize it was him at first. Right. Um, because I couldn't pick up his voice. Like, I was like, his face looks so familiar, but it's hard mm. because he's bald, wearing a hood, all the makeup. But I was like, I know that face. I can't figure out who it is. And then I just I kept trying to like pick up on it. And finally, I was like, is that William Sadler? And then I looked it up <laughs> and it was. He does the accent really well. He you may does. challenge me to a contest. <laughs> <laughs> no one has ever won. It's really good. Yeah, no, he did it fantastically. He, yeah, that, that's all mm. I'm going to say about that. Okay. I, I was going to ask you about similar films and like great sequels or comedy sequels. There is a film I need to ask you about. Have you ever seen The Seventh Seal? I have not. I didn't think you would have done. <laughs> I did learn um, that it is that this kind of parodied that a little mm-hmm. bit. I think uh. with the challenging death bit, I think. Just that pit, right? Oh, it, half of it is a parody of it. Oh, okay. The, the sort of uh, existential analysis of the afterlife and what life means and so on. Okay. Um, but The Seventh Seal, a 1957 Swedish film where yes. a man plays chess with death, um, which itself has been parodied, this idea of playing games against death. But that is the the death with the pale face and the black robe is very much kind of how we picture him in, in media these days. Mm-hmm. And, and that it draws a lot from that film directly. Okay. Have you ever seen the film Last Action Hero? I have, but it was a very long time ago. Okay. Do you remember that the magic ticket makes death come into the real world? No. I just remember oh, okay. there's a red sports car and Arnold Schwarzenegger is a toy that comes to life. Or a okay. movie character that comes movie to star. life? Yeah, movie yeah, movie star, character. yeah. Yeah, okay. So in uh, there's the magic ticket that make, makes things able to come out of films into the real world. And the magic ticket lands in front of the seventh seal. And death from the seventh seal comes into the real world. Oh, okay. Played by Ian McKellen, randomly. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yeah, so, so that is the sort of one of the main references of that film outside of this. Okay. I, I don't think I actually have any interest in seeing The Seventh Seal itself. Yeah, it's a bit... I mean, it's very good. It's a really interesting, like I say, kind of discussion of life and its meaning and uh, you know, nihilistic viewpoints and so on. But it's a little heavy. And in Swedish. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Max von Sydow is the knight who plays chess with death. He's famous. If you say so. He is. Star Wars The Force Awakens, the old guy who has the map to Luke Skywalker. That's Max von Sydow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's the priest from The Exorcist, maybe? Okay, vaguely. Sure. Okay. Good. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'm not as good again, because I like to hear it. Hey, Mandy, did you enjoy Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey? I did. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> I don't think I enjoyed it quite as much as you did, though. But I'm no. not sure anybody does. Yeah. I, like, I talked about Bill and Ted. I, I loved the style and the attitude and everything about that first film. And then this is, for me, so much better in a lot of ways. And really does a lot of stuff right. So it's building on characters I already love. So it's cool. Okay. Well, let's let's talk about that. Why hmm. is this... Why do you think this is better than the original? And I know lots of other people do too, because when I searched for those lists, when we did talk about Godfather Part 2, this one kept coming up as a sequel that's better than the original. Yeah. And so I'm just curious what you think made it so much better. I, I think it's not just a sequel. I mean, it's not just, like you say, it could have been, okay, we do more time travel, or rather than going through time, let's have them going through literature or film or music history or something but it actually goes let's have them having an adventure a journey but let's do it through the afterlife so we can kind of do different stuff it's not just 
an analogous one-to-one. Right. What happens in the first, we do it again and double down. It's got a lot of the same humour and the same jokes, but it's not reliant on the that humour and those jokes to carry it through. Like, I, I had a thought. I was looking at the notes from when we did uh, the first one, and I obviously loved the way that they do something as the most triumphant, most heinous, most whatever. And I, I was like, oh, they don't use that in this one. And they do. They were like, f- doing a search on the script, there are 15 times that they do the most something. Yes. But I didn't notice it at all because there is now new stuff. There are new character interactions. There are new moments. There are new elements. There are new things going on that they didn't do the first time. They've now brought in to make it even better. Okay. So I think that's, that helps it build. But then even on top of that, this is a solid film. If this was not a comedy, if this was a... Uh, rugged drama might not be the right thing, but a kind of, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal... Hugh Jackman, someone of that that ilk doing a he's been killed. Oh, Ghost, in fact, does some of this stuff still with the comedy, but about trying to deal with things in the real world whilst they're being dead. Mm-hmm. This does it really well. I can follow each step and it's it's it makes sense. And it's an interesting analysis of what does the afterlife mean and what could it be like? And then on top of that, it's paced really well. You start off really frenetic, like we're going to give you everything you need to know about the first film and then about what we're setting up in this film and then we're going to slow it down and introduce our characters again and then we're going to pick it up when you know lots of stuff starts happening. Then we're going to have some really funny bits. Then we're going to have an action sequence at the end. I think it just, it all works. Every single thing I can look at works really well. And it's got a cool kind of rock metal soundtrack. What more okay. do you want? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I am sitting here just grinning like a crazy person listening to you talk about this. <laughs> Um, d- does it work? Is is it better than the first one for you? I don't think it's better. I think it is as good in a different way. Okay. Because they're just two. Di- I mean, they're they're telling two different stories in two different ways, mm. and so it's hard for me to say that one is better than the other because I enjoyed both of them very much, kind of for different reasons. I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. This one, honestly. So I was sitting here watching it, thinking. I don't understand why people say this is better. This this is not better. Like I you know, it's it's fun, but it's it's still a lot of the same. They're just silly boys, blah 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 blah. And then we got to death and we got mm. to all of that stuff and I yep. started realizing kind of what they were doing. And by the end of it, I think my only reaction was, "Oh my god, this was utterly ridiculous, but it was amazing." Mm. So yeah, it's just it's good. It's a lot of fun. I laughed. I literally clapped my hands at times. It's just hard for me to say better because okay. it's different. Right. Plus, I don't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> damn right. <laughs> yeah. No, it was good. It was. I liked it. Yeah, it is that point when death is introduced, the, the great shot of him on the cliff looking down at them, which I'm never sure because of how dark he is. I'm never sure whether that's a shadow of death on a cliff or he's on top of a cliff and it's half in shadow. It's such a good shot. And then he appears behind them. Right. Um, they, they set him up very seriously and very ominously. Oh, yeah. So that you take him seriously, but then when you get into the board game sequence and suddenly they're humanizing <laughs> him in inverted commas and he's, he's getting annoyed and he's like, you have him playing battleships, which is funny in and of itself. Yes. And then he loses and he demands the best two out of three. <laughs> and then it's Clue. So he has to do, you know, I think it was Professor Plum <laughs> in that accent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just slowly, step by step, they actually make him a more engaging character. Oh, yeah. I think he was hands down my favorite part. Mm. Even because you didn't expect him to continue to be a character. You expect, okay, he's death. It's a serious thing. He says that he can give them back to life if they challenge him and they win. And so you're still, you know, this is still being set up to be this like super serious thing. Mm. And then the next thing you see is Battleship. And you're just like, wait, what? (laughs) And then it's Clue. And then it's Twister. And it just keeps devolving. And you're just like, what is happening right now? And then he goes with them. Like, he takes them to heaven, and then he yeah. goes back to earth with them, and he just stays with them. And I just could not wait to see what he was going to do or say next. Mm. Yeah, I love that that works for you. The, the going from it being a contest, 
but they're actually playing battleships. I love that that works just as a gag without needing to know the reference. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where you know it's done well. Because if you know it, if you're going into this going, oh, yes, you play chess with death because that's what's done, because that's the gag because of the seventh seal. So it, it, it whilst it is an extra thing, the gag still works even without that uh, bit of knowledge. Yeah, I had no idea it was referencing something that would have been a board game. Right. I was expecting it to be like um, a challenge of wits or, I don't know, a, a puzzle of some sort, a maze, a riddle. You know, I wasn't mm. expecting a tangible game because mm-hmm. I didn't know the reference. And so it was just absolutely delightful to all of a sudden be like, oh, my God, they're playing Battleship. Yeah. <laughs> With death. <laughs> and to culminate in Twister. <laughs> like, that's that's just so... Because you could just keep doing board games. Yes. It could have been Trivial Pursuit, because that would have been funny, asking general knowledge questions of death. But to go to Twister... <laughs> Twister was great, because then you get the physical comedy aspect, too. Yeah. And it just builds and builds. Although I did wonder how they could tell what the different colors were because everything was gray. <laughs> and th- and that, uh, I-, I want to talk about the effects um, in-, in general, but the black and white effect, I say in inverted commas, I mean, they have obviously put a lot of white makeup on Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, but they've got their exact clothes in very, very light versions of them. Yes. So they absolutely look faded. It's such... Uh, the attention to detail to do that so well is just amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I picked up on that right away and I, I liked it. it because yeah. it is such a, a minor piece of detail. Because you would think that they would just try to desaturate the color. Mm. Like digitally or however they would have done that in 1991. But they actually went and made brand new clothes. Yeah. That just didn't have color that were the exact same. And it was nice. It was nice. Brilliant. Very clever. Yeah. So when when I was looking up uh, information about this, I was surprised to discover that there were multiple references to Star Trek in this movie, mm-hmm. which of course made me go, okay, that's exactly why Matthew loves this movie so much. <laughs> So I'm assuming that you are fully aware of these, um, specifically the rock cliffs where the boys were killed is, yeah. is, and where death comes back um, with them is the rocks where Captain Kirk climbs up them. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept finding references to one specific episode um, in the original series called Arena, yep. but I feel like that landscape was in every episode that had an alien planet well, but i could be wrong <laughs> so did you notice them watching star trek earlier in the film yes yes and that's, did. that's the thing it is that shot of the cliffs oh you're right yeah, i didn't put that together because mm, that came first it's it's really clever that again they've just got this minor setup they could be watching anything on tv and it wouldn't matter um, right. in fact you don't even have to show the tv but they've just set up a gag there of well, if we've got to use some cliffs, let's use them on some Star Trek. Like, hey, why not? <laughs> yeah. I, w- I wonder if they filmed them there and then found out they were used in Star Trek. So they're like, oh, we could do something with that. No, because they actually, um, I read that they spent a lot of time watching Star Trek. Okay. Um, so, so they knew exactly where to put the camera. Right. To get nice. the shot the way they wanted it. So I, they did it intentionally. Okay. The other one that I noticed was, well, not that I noticed, I read about it because I don't pick up on this stuff. The <laughs> building that they used to represent Bill and Ted University in the future mm. um, is actually, it's a water reclamation plant in California, but it was used to portray Starfleet Academy, both in TNG and Voyager. Okay. It has that look, doesn't it? It does. All yeah. that white, clean lines, like yeah. modern definitely futuristic (laughs) so i knew once i read those that there were reasons why you loved this movie and why it speaks to your heart yeah Uh, again it's a simple gag to set up with the the arena and the cliffs piece but why not why not have a fun reference in there um again it's it's an example for me of the way this film introduces new jokes i don't feel we got too many references or movie things in the first one 
And it's a really easy thing for comedies to do, to sort of spoof pop culture. But in this, you've got a, a large chunk of it doing the Seventh Seal, and a character basically based on the Seventh Seal. You've got the Star Trek moment, you've got references to The Exorcist, um, and then taking people over. You've got, there's a film called A Matter of Life and Death, uh, which I have a feeling you've probably not seen. No. Okay, I think you'd love it. It's an old film, but it is a wonderful film. And that is also called Stairway to Heaven because it has the stairway going up to heaven. And it's the stairway that they use in this. And uh, just reading the trivia about this, they even have statues of two of the main characters on either side of the stairway. Okay. But again, it's it's using a sort of classic way that we visualize heaven and God. Mm -hmm. And they, they throw it in here because why not say that sometimes you get it right? Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I am glad that they chose not to actually portray God. Mm. So we just got the voice. Yeah. Because I, I was thinking, oh, my God, who are they going to have to play God in this? Like, I couldn't even imagine. Yeah. And then they just did the voice. And I think that was spot on the right call. Mm. I mean, Alanis Morissette wasn't famous yet. So <laughs> everyone would have gone, hey, who's she? Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it is interesting that it's it's a heavily Judeo-Christian afterlife that's portrayed. Um, yes. Do you, do you uh, think that's fine? Is it? Could they have done more there? What are your thoughts on it? Did it even stand out to you? Honestly, it didn't really stand out because that's generally the direction that Hollywood goes whenever they do portray death in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Is you're going to get the red, fiery pit of hell with the demon-y looking Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to get the pearly gates in heaven. You know, they, I mean, they did a few things differently. Like, apparently, if you wear white or lavender, you automatically get into heaven. <laughs> I mean, okay. Um, but it just, it, it largely seemed normal. Normal is not the right word, but commonplace, just yeah. because that's what everybody does. Yeah. And so it didn't, it didn't stand out as being unique or different at all. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah, the demon... We, we don't really get to see too much. Because, again, Dave Grohl was still in Nirvana. He wasn't that famous at this time. <laughs> <laughs> I did like that they called him Beelzebub. Beelzebub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was great. How are we going to get his attention? Sign of the devil, dude. <laughs> <laughs> did you know that in the scene with um, young Bill, hmm. with his granny as preston esquire hmm. alex winter played the granny yeah isn't it great it's fantastic and, like i think it's really good old person makeup and he does the part really really well but yet watching it Catherine was like that's alex winter isn't it <laughs> oh see i didn't even pick up on it i was just like wow that's a crazy old granny and hmm. um i was also still having um a moment of incredulity at some authenticity moments in this movie which is ridiculous oh, yeah. ridiculous um but <laughs> i think that's probably why i didn't catch it i read about it later okay like like what <sighs> so it makes absolutely no sense to me that bill and ted who are not evil spirits you know they just happen to die they're clearly not evil so they go to the seance to try and get help and it's, it's missy who's running the seance right yeah. Okay. So Missy gets freaked out and decides that she needs to banish the evil spirits and they get banished to hell. But they weren't actually evil, so I don't understand how they got banished to hell. Like, that's where I got stuck. Ah, a spell to banish spirits, though. And they are spirits. But the book was actually called The Riddance of Evil. Okay. Angel got sucked to hell and he was Angel. Hmm. <sighs> I understand how ridiculous this is. I do. But that's, I was like, why are they here? I don't understand why they're being like tortured like this. I just didn't want them to be tortured in hell. That's all. I, I think it has to for the plot. And, I, you're and right. I, I like that as a way of getting them to hell. I think that is actually a very clever way of doing it. Like just get them there. Just someone casts a spell and they end up there. Um, yeah. It's not like, okay, we have another contrivance kind of scene, action sequence that ends up with them moved. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's effectively what that scene is anyway, but I like it as a contrivance, is yeah. I think what I'm saying. That's fair. That's absolutely fair. I'm just, you know, saying that's what I got stuck on mm -hmm. in this wholly authentic movie. So uh, we mentioned <laughs> William Sadler earlier as the, as death. 
yes. as the Grim Reaper. He is also in the film as the dad of the British family. Yes. Yes. And that is his family. Yes. Now, the thing that I love about that is I can actually remember watching this and going, wait, the British family is having breakfast, but it's like nighttime. Oh, no, wait, <laughs> time. <laughs> and it, it's another example of where this film just pays so much attention to detail on everything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, of course. If it's you know, midnight-ish in San Dimas, it would be about 8am in the UK. So they'd be having breakfast. Right. And then in the Asian countries and the Russia that we see, yes, it would be during the day, if not in getting towards the evening. Right. Very nicely done. Like, just as an example of the attention to detail, but all the way through, like, they don't waste any moment. They can do lots of different gags about, you know, he punches him and then we have the reference to the metal. Just everything's moving on to give you a bit of information to set up something for the characters or a really good gag. Anytime they can put something in that's funny or useful, they do it. And yet the film still holds together. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are other films that are as funny as this. That I, I think the, the the core plot, the narrative of it, doesn't hold together as well because there's just so many gags. Monty Python the Holy Grail, for example. Yes. Is is incredibly funny to some people. But because you are just like, okay, so we've got to set up a scene where they get a shrubbery because we want to do this shrubbery joke. Uh, right, how do we move on from there? They've still worked within the, the constraints of the plot, mm-hmm. but to do some very, very funny stuff all the way through in every scene. And the one that right. comes to mind is just when they're trashing the apartment and you just have Bill going, whoa, upside down cake and smashes a cake upside down. <laughs> there's utterly no need for that gag but it's great because it's such a stupid bad pun <laughs> is there anything about this movie that you just don't like at all or that you wish had been done differently well we could take out some of the 90s humor you know looking down at the top saying fags the, the the usual stuff that we have problems with in, in older films right by and large no there's stuff that has clearly been cut that I would like to see like, there's a whole thing when the robots go to kidnap the princesses, that the robots take off their skins mm-hmm. and are different robots underneath. And where I think there's a bit in that scene where you can see the skins on the ground, but we don't actually get the scene where they do that, so we don't know what that scene is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's bits like that that's like, oh, that's, that's strange. Something odd has gone on there. But by and large, it's really good. Even the inclusion of Station. Like, it's a really weird inclusion. And yes. I feel like if you're going to have these two aliens as really smart, you should have more aliens in there. But I also get they did not have the biggest plot. Right. Yeah. I can accept that. Yeah. Station was the weirdest part of this movie for me. I. It was also weird that they seemed to be the only aliens in heaven. Yeah. Agreed. But okay. We got good robots out of it. So yeah. okay. It's, and it's another way of doing different jokes. Whereas if it had just been Einstein or other genius figures, uh, they would have been the same sort of jokes as the first film and and as we're already doing. Yeah, that is true. Mm. I didn't think of that. You're right. But the robots, just thinking on on the way Bill and Ted trash the thing, one of the things I love about the robots is definitely the evil robots and to some extent the good robots are... Very clearly differentiated in a little bit in their look, but very much in their mannerisms. And it really comes across as the uh, kind of the, the angel and devil on the shoulder version. Mm-hmm. The, the evil robots are sarcastic. They're rude. They um, give each other looks of like, how stupid are these guys? They are the uh, bad versions of Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. But because they still have their personalities, it really is. They are just Bill and Ted on a bad day. And the good robots have an element of, they just want to help and come in and do cool things and dance nicely. <laughs> to a lesser extent, because they get a lot less screen time. Right. But I quite like that. Um, that the evil versions of them, the evil robots, are just a almost the sci-fi trope of splitting someone into their good and bad constituent parts. Right. Hmm. Hearing you describe it like that, I think, answers one of the questions I had. I got really frustrated hmm. about why... The princesses couldn't tell right away that something was wrong. Right. They just thought they were being mean, and so they left. And yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, no, Bill and Ted would never do that. And I guess hearing you describe it, 
as if it is just Bill and Ted having a bad day because they did keep their personality so on point does make that make a little bit more sense. Mm. I mean, it it is really obvious, but it's really obvious to us. Right. Because we kind of know what's going on. But yeah, I could, mm-hmm. I, I could see it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What else you got? I know there's so much you want to talk about. <laughs> well, that's kind of it without me uh, gushing. I know I've been gushing already, but I've been trying to keep it to why is this good and why do I like this? Mm-hmm. Do you think the film holds up without seeing the first film? I think was one of the interesting questions. By and large, yes. Mm. Although there are a few things that would kind of be questionable. Just because without understanding why the future is the way that it is. Yeah, which true. is kind of the basis of this movie. I think that that's something that would need to be explained. And then just understanding why they're calling the girls princesses and why she had a 521st mm, birthday. Yeah. Um, those were really nice continuity things from the first one that help it be a sequel mm. without it being, like you said, it's not strictly a sequel because it's not continuing the same story. It's just continuing the world. So yeah, I think I think we don't learn anything about Bill and Ted in the first one that we need to know to understand the Bill and Ted in this one. Yeah. I mean, in this one, even more so than the first one, they're largely interchangeable anyway. Yes. So there's nothing that they're bringing to the parts except for their personalities, which are just two dudes having fun. Yes. Hmm. But would you say it's worth watching this one without watching the first one? I would say that I would recommend people watch the first one and then the second one. And then if they wanted to watch the second one over and over again without ever watching the first one again, that would be okay. Okay. But yeah, there's no reason not to skip the first one, I think. Right. Hmm. Exactly, because they're both actually really good, <laughs> shockingly enough. Okay, did you have any favorite things from this that we've not covered? Well, we've already talked about William Sadler, like, in depth. Absolutely delightful. Mm. My favorite thing that he did, though, was when they were in the Builder Emporium, and he walks by the guy who's smoking, and he says, see you real soon, and the <laughs> guy puts out the cigarette. I thought that was wonderful. And then it got even better because I found out that that guy was actually Pete Hewitt. Yeah. which just makes it so much better i love it right the other thing that i I didn't actually write this in our notes but i really appreciate that this sequel didn't do what most sequels do when it comes to the women most of the time what happens is in the first movie the boy gets the girl and in the second movie that girl is gone he's got a different girl and in this one, while the actresses were different, they were still with the same two girls. Mm. And that was an important part of the plot because the whole reason they wanted to come back wasn't because they didn't want to be dead. It was because they wanted to save the girls from the evil robots. Yeah. And I really liked that. Yeah. So they are damseled, but there well, are times yeah. there are times that, that it is a legitimate way of writing a story. Like we don't want to see it all the time. We don't necessarily want characters who that's the only purpose for being. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is in this case. Yeah, but I guess from my perspective, I don't see that as being their only purpose because mm. they become part of the band. They're mm. already when this movie starts, they're already part of Wild Stallions, and they're part of the band that becomes the basis of the world. Yeah, later on, you know, and so they're integral to the future. It's just in this particular movie, they were in danger and that drove yeah. some of the motivation. True. But I would rather have them be included than have them not be included, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Absolutely. And you actually made me think of a uh, point on it. So like time travel films, we tend to have quite in-depth conversations about time travel as depicted. Yes. And there is a hint in this film that they are about to break their own rules. They're about to do what Terminator 2 did to Terminator 1. And then it kind of doesn't. Did you have any thoughts, any reactions to the use of time travel here? Not so much, just because the time travel wasn't the focus of this one. Mm-hmm. Like it was the first one. And if I thought about it too hard, it was going to hurt my brain. Because let me just ask you this question. Mm-hmm. The way this ended, Bill and Ted get in the phone booth. And they leave. Mm-hmm. And then immediately they come back and they've lived out 16 months. Mm-hmm. And they've learned how to do this and they've had kids and blah, blah, blah. So where did they actually go when they got in the phone booth? Like where did present day Bill and Ted go <laughs> when they got in the phone booth? See, things like that hurt my brain. Okay. And 
I mean, I'm not expecting you to have an answer. It's just, Mm. yeah. That's the one bit that potentially disrupts the rules we established in the first one. Mm -hmm. Because this is one of the things we talked about with the first one, that time is immutable. You can't change it. What happens, happens. So they had to go back to the same time, the the, the time in San Dimas that has passed since they first got in the phone booth. Whereas in this, they do come back to the same instant they left. Right. But that doesn't also mean that they don't, at the end of Battle of the Bands, go forward 16 months. True. So I guess I guess they could have gotten in the phone booth and gone back in time to set up all of the stuff that they needed to set up with mm-hmm. the key and the sandbag and all of that stuff. And then... Oh, I don't... I don't know. I guess since two sets of them would be at the same time, then one set of them is the one that went to the future. I see. I don't know. It hurts my head. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. But it was it was nice, you know, for them to actually go learn how to play music and come back and win yeah. and actually start on the path that takes them to where we saw in their first one. Yeah, that was nice. Okay, so so it's the Nominos himself that potentially disrupts the the time travel mechanics that we've set up and rufus makes the comment or he says you know time will tell time has told (laughs) because he says he's going to go back at the second major conjunction in or crisis point in their history when their message goes out to millions of people and they become successful and cause world peace Mm -hmm. surely he would see a record of so i went back and caused their message to go out to millions of people and they defeated me I mean, is this just that it, that Rufus suppressed it so that Denomalous would always do that thing? I don't know. I think that's a really good question. But, <laughs> I mean, it's it's time travel. It's, it's the time travel paradox that you're always going to have. Because if time was immutable and things were always going to happen the way that they happened, then why in the first one were they so worried about the future not coming to pass? Yeah, I'm not sure they're worried. They just know they have to send back the phone booth so that they could do the thing that gets them the A. Okay. Hmm. Okay. But I, I, I do like this, that it implies the rules are going to change. And then it ends up with, no, actually, the rules are still the same. It's Denomalous going back that causes them to get their message out around the world. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's very nice. What about you? What did you love that we haven't yet talked about? Um, I, I mentioned the practical effects briefly, especially the black and white, which I do love when they wake up and they're black and white. It's mm-hmm. really nice. But all the practical effects all the way through, things like him taking off his head, dunking his head, and then you seeing his head moving in the bin. The, the, there's a shot where Evil Bill opens his... when they're Just before they kill them, he opens up his stomach to show the robot underneath. Mm-hmm. And it is a single pan from... Uh, Alex Winter's head, he lifts up his shirt, it pans down and sees him opening up. So clearly he's then sort of stood behind some uh, you know, prosthetic thing that he then opens up to show this. But there's no sign of it. There's no like, okay, I can see that it's, it's his head sticking through a, a dummy or something. Right. And just all the way through, we get the great effects with Station, who is actually there, who is actually being played and actually doing this stuff. The robots, who presumably are people inside the robots... The, the good Bill and Ted. Right. And then even the, like the set they build for hell. Like I love the thing with the rocks floating. I love the gag of our, uh, we got totally lied to by our album covers. Yes. That is a great <laughs> gag. Yes. But then they get pulled forward and then they climb on top of this crushing thing that is again a practical effect, got built somehow. And they're on this single set, which is all this metal work and they're standing in front of Satan and you don't see it for the rest of the film at all. But someone clearly built that set. Mm-hmm. And and again, the attention to detail and the quality that you're seeing on screen for a film that has quite a low budget for what you're seeing. I think where they saved the money, they saved it on some of the CG type effects because they are not quite right. so good. Right. Um, but you can see every cent they spent making something real and tangible in the world. I love it. Yeah, the practical effects were pretty spectacular. There were a few places where you could see it, I think, in, in ways that weren't so great mm. um i'm thinking particularly of bill and ted's heads um right when they get detached from the body it's very clear that it's a mannequin head right yeah then the effect of you know bill's head in the trash can talking was amazing mm. you know and so they did some things really 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 well and some things kind of less well i think you're right the the cgi effects were probably the worst particularly when they were possessing the people at the police station yeah. Those were not great. Yeah. And the seance was not great. No. When the girls walk through them as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. But the the practical effects, absolutely. Practical effects always kind of leave me in awe because mm. I just I can't fathom having the talent and the skill to create these things that look like that. Yeah. And so for somebody to be able to sit down and say, this is how I want it to look in the movie, and here's what I have to build to make it happen. Yeah. Is amazing to me. Yeah. The, the design of the future. So what is it? 600, 700 years in the future? And they're in this neon, neoprene, some stuff is white, things are glowing. It gets a really good vision of the future that, yes, everything looks and feels so different. Mm-hmm. Except for the weird round TV thing. That's a bit weird. <laughs> well, out, their boots were also weird. Yeah, but 700 years in the future. Great. It's true. Mm. It's true. I actually kind of thought they looked a little bit like uh, characters from Super Mario. Okay. I, I don't know why I had that thought, but that was the thought that I had. I think it was the, <laughs> the hats. Right, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Huh. It was interesting. Um. The The final thing to mention... Just to set this up appropriately, this is probably my favourite comedy thing in all of comedy. It's okay. the thing I think I have found funniest in all of my life. Ever. Okay, this is big. The whole. When they are banished to hell in the seance <laughs> and they're falling. Mm-hmm. And they're falling. And it's a long lens wide shot and they just start at the top of the screen and they're so small, and they're just falling and falling through the screen, going. And then they take a second, and they're still falling, and then they scream again. Mm-hmm. And then they start talking. <laughs> like, Dude, this is a totally deep hole. <laughs> Do you want to play 20 questions? Okay. <laughs> and that is a sequence I have done with many friends over my life. Because even that, like, the the playing 20 questions is funny and silly, and it's a great way to do, like, a concept of someone falling really far. But the fact that the 20 questions is, I got one. Okay, are you a mineral? Yes. Are you a tank? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) I mean, that's just Bill and Ted for you. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's great writing. It's just the funniest thing. It's... Because it's several shots in sequence, they sort of move, but just the the long shot of them screaming, taking a second, screaming again, and then going, this is a totally deep hole. (laughs) It's wonderful. It is. It never fails to make me laugh. That makes me happy for you. Did you you enjoy it? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I was cracking up, especially because it was always Bill who started screaming first. Mm Mm-hmm. Every single time. And he would do this thing with his face where he would, like, flip his head back and then <laughs> start screaming. Yeah. <laughs> like, every time. And, it, yeah, it cracked me up. Great. I, I could just watch that over and over again. It's so good. <laughs> the movie or the, the whole sequence? Well, the, 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 the movie as a whole, but that sequence is it's genius. It's just so clever. And I don't know if it's just one of those things that you think of, like, hey, what, what if you were falling forever? Would you yeah. just keep screaming? Well, no, because... And then even the, the finale of that, they hit, and they're like, whoa, can we do that again? Because <laughs> now you know there's no pain at the end. Well, right. That was quite good fun. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, while you were talking, I did remember mm-hmm. one other thing that okay. I wanted to point out that I really, really liked. Go on. It, and it is the scene where Ted possesses his dad. Mm-hmm. The actor who plays his dad channeled Keanu Reeves playing Ted so well. Yeah. It was bonkers. Whoa. Okay. Dudes. I mean, fellow policemen. My son, Ted Theodore Logan, and his friend, Bill S. Preston Esquire, have been murdered and replaced by evil robots from the future. And and again, the attention to detail that when he does the guitar noise, it's a nice sort of picking acoustic guitar. Oh, I don't even think I noticed that. Yeah. It's got a real kind of middle of the road, easy easy listening thing going on with it. (laughs) Okay. Now, I was just listening to how he was talking and Mm -hmm. like the way he was moving. And I was thinking, wow, like he is doing a fantastic job. Yeah. The shoulders back, the sideways lean thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it was great. Okay. Is there anything else that we need to discuss about Bill and Ted's bogus journey? So after we talked about the first one, um, we recorded it, I think, in April, and it came out in May. And then in May, it was officially announced that the third film is actually going to happen. It's not just a rumor anymore. Um, have you seen anything about this? Uh, I've seen the articles that they're making, apparently. <laughs> I know you like to avoid spoilers at all costs. So I will just <laughs> tell you that it is called Bill and Ted Face the Music. Mm. I won't tell you what it's supposed to be about, since oh, you don't like those things. I, I think I saw a line that it's they're in their 40s, and the world has not come to what they thought it was going to come to. Yes, that is so, part of it. Yeah. That is part of it. Uh, it could be good, but if I'm really, really honest, I will believe this film is coming out when I'm sat in the cinema watching it. <laughs> well, they is... have actually attached a director to it at this point. Oh, good. So the script is done. There's a director. They're saying it's going to come out, but they haven't set a release date yet. So Yeah. I know. Yeah. But it's, it's, been it's in... closer than before. Yeah. It's been in development for so long. Yeah. That I'm just, at this point, come on, guys. Okay. Pair them up, but do something different. All right. Well, I am going to call it now. In 2020, this movie is going to come out, and we are going to do a special episode about Bill and Ted Face the Music. Okay. <laughs> Call on it now. Okay. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. And I am on Twitter at Mandy K. And I am on Twitter at Matthew Vose. <laughs> I'm sorry. Do you want me to do that again? And we are on Patreon <laughs> because we are 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Anything you give gives access to exclusive content, blah, 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 develop new shows, <laughs> patreon.com slash eloquentgushing, and the website, the newsletter, eloquentgushing.com. We have a website. It's eloquentgushing.com. <laughs> well, we will be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about mystery men with Jan from the Way Too Seriously podcast. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And if I die, you can have my Megadeth collection. Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.